What are you always focusing about so much, Paul? I mean, I'm always here. Debatable. <laughs> it's debatable whether you're always here or not, right? I had a good excuse this time, though. On, on that note, there is a non-zero chance that there is a housekeeping coming into my uh, my hotel room while we do, do do this. So let's see. That's going to be a fun blooper. Did you put the blocker up on the door? Yes, do not but disturb. they don't care about this in Africa. <laughs> as, as, as long as it's not some half-naked uh, person. Yeah. You never know. Like that famous news reporter who had his uh, daughter come in, right? Yep, <laughs> yep. We've had that. Fantastic. Does does, um, does your husband come in in the same way? <laughs> uh, that was actually me. Excellent. All right. So in that case, uh, Sara, are you ready to go? Sure. Yeah. Do I look Villa? okay? I oh, assume so. Yeah, you look perfect, as always. Uh, Villa, are you ready to go? Always. Okay. In that case, a clap and we'll get going. Welcome to Fintech Daydreaming. The podcast that dives into the world of banking technologies and the ever-changing landscape of fintech companies. We bring you real-life examples from global and local thought leaders, as well as experts working within the financial industry, and seek out the best stories from the front lines of financial services innovation, where dreams of industry pioneers meet reality. Hosted by Paul Krogdahl and Ville Songtu. This is Fintech Daydreaming. We're back. Another fantastic episode of uh, Fintech Daydreaming, your favorite podcast for news around banking technology and fintech. And this time we're going to dive deep into the world of open banking. We like platforms, open banking, embedded finance, all of these cool things that are happening at the moment in the banking industry. So we're going to dive into that again. And this time we're going to focus in on a specific area around open banking and possibly look at what is some of the secret sauce in making success and making failures of open banking. But as always, I could not do this without my partner in fintech. We have already decided we won't use partner in crime anymore. But my good friend, Villa Sointo. How are you, my friend? You're, you're traveling again, right? Yes, I'm, I'm doing good. I'm actually here in uh, Rwanda, Africa, right now in Kigali for the Mobile World Congress Africa. Uh, so it's, uh, it's a really fascinating uh, place to be in. And uh, as we all know, Africa is the, uh, the home for mobile money. Uh, and uh, we, just, uh, we just heard from GSMA yesterday that there's uh, over 1 trillion US dollars worth of payments going through uh, mobile money solutions uh, glo uh, globally uh, every year. Uh, and the growth is continuing this year, so it's uh, it's it's definitely making an impact. And I think it actually has an interesting connection to to the topic we have today on open banking, because these systems for mobile money have been built from the ground up to be API based and ecosystem enabled. All of these mobile money providers have hundreds, if not thousands, of uh, of partners integrated into the mobile money platforms. So it's an interesting co uh, comparison between the uh, European uh, uh, PSD two driven open banking set up compared to this uh, mobile money space. But uh, we digress. I think we need to get on to the uh, 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 guest of today. Yes, we do indeed. We do indeed. And with us today, we've got uh, Sarah Heger, who uh, up until very recently was uh, responsible for the successful uh, sort of domain of commun community within sort of open banking at Nordea. Uh, but you've moved on since then. But maybe 
for our listeners, for the few who uh, who don't know about uh, you and Nodia, why, why don't you just give a little bit of a background of who you are and how you got to where you are today? Absolutely. Um, so Sara Hager, uh, I was 15 years in Nordea before I decided to leave the bank. Never thought I would be that long in one company ever. Um, started in Gothenburg, always been moving, in, uh, working with large corporate clients, working in Stockholm, working in Frankfurt with European subsidiaries or the Euro country based subsidiaries, then back to Sweden. And uh, then in uh, product management, I got a opportunity to uh, join Open Banking six years ago, uh, just when it was founded and started and kicked off based on a payment strategy that Nordea had launched back then. So uh, since then, I've been uh, working to get that vision of ours from PowerPoint into the reality of today with several different APIs, commercial APIs, partner APIs, PSD2 APIs, PSD2 approved APIs by the FinFSA. And uh, now also just before I left launching internal and domain APIs. Fantastic. And and you're also missing out the important part here. I mean, your role focused around driving the community around mm. Nordea's open banking success. And I, I think we should be, I mean, we shouldn't be shy about this. Nordea was for a long time and to a certain degree still is seen as a, a benchmark for open banking in, in Europe, if not globally. And a lot of that came down to the success of how uh, you and the team drove that whole community ethos around the open banking platform and the open banking organization within inside of Nordea. But we digress. We'll talk about that in a little bit more detail. So I think one of the things that's Interesting is you recently left Nordea, yes. went to to work for a fintech. Um, you know, there's, there's always these these questions of why would you leave such a big established bank in in a key role that you were in to to go and play in the world of fintech? So I mean, we love yes, it. Why, why indeed? Why yeah. indeed? <laughs> <laughs> it's a question I got asked so often. So I decided to write a blog post about it. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, uh, both that question of why why do you leave Nordea? Why do you leave that management position? And also the second question to why enable banking? We've never heard about enable banking before. And uh, uh, this the uh, first question is, uh, uh, in my world, it's super simple. Uh, we've, I've been with the bank for 15 years. I've seen how it's been developing. I've seen how the banks are being burdened by a large regulatory burden and how all the commercial initiatives have been restrained, down-prioritized due to the need and the must of compliance. Mm. Because the bank's priority list is, of course, number one, two, and three is compliance, compliance, compliance. Mm. Now, in uh, open banking, we were fairly successful in turning compliance into commercial solutions. Yeah. But um, I would still say that that's one of the things that I really missed in Nordea, the possibility to innovate and to enable innovation. Mm -hmm. To uh, And having been a, a leader uh, uh, for, for a good while, I think it's, it's a bit like uh, being a parent after a few years. Uh, you get to be proud about your people or you're proud about your children. In uh, that sense, I found enable banking fantastic because I can be proud of what other people are building on top of our APIs, enabling success, enabling others to really succeed and to let them build. Um, and 
in the role that I have right now, I have a very free role where I'm able to inspire and to share the knowledge and to share all that cool use cases that we were working on or tried to start to get to work on in, in the bank previously. Yeah. Uh, so um, uh, for less than, yeah, less than a month ago, by 1st of October, I started with Enable Banking. It's a fintech in its simple simplest sort in its simplest form and uh, enable banking is originally a finnish company mm-hmm. and uh, it's regulated under the finnish fsa so tpp regulated for account information services soon to be payment initiation services and um, what i really liked about enable banking is that they never store any data they never use any data and they will never package or resell or clean or scrub or innovate with any of the data of our customers' customers. And uh, the uh, and that builds for integrity, it builds for security, it builds for a sustainable business model in the long term. Um, and I also strongly believe when it comes to data that it's it's not like uh, friendship or happiness that it's when you share it with someone it's it grows. In this case, it's rather the other way around, where if you share data with someone, the value of that data is diminishing. And uh, the second part is that we always want to stay enabling other companies. If we find a lucrative niche or a customer finds a super lucrative niche, we will not start competing with them, like we've seen several other third parties done in the markets. We will always stay at enabling them, working as that true enabler in the industry. And uh, one of the personal missions of uh, Jonas is uh, to become a kind of standard when it comes to the aggregated APIs, so that that kind of API and that kind of standard is more uniform than what it is right now with all the different standards from the banks and the difference in how they have been interpreting that in some sense, in some parts, big regulation. Okay, fantastic. I, th- I think we're having a small amount of bandwidth problems here, so we have to apologize to our, our viewers and listeners, but um, bear with us. This is technology as always, right? Uh, sometimes yes. these things happen and it's okay. almost live. So let's uh, oh. let's keep going with it. Paul, can I pick up on something Sarah just said? Yeah, because so, I want to pick up on something as well. So you go first, and I'll go second. <laughs> so I, I found it interesting that, Sarah, that you mentioned uh, that Enable Banking is one of the, the first uh, unique value propositions that you mentioned was that you don't store the data, you don't touch the data as an aggregator. Mm-hmm. Uh, since you mentioned it's so high on the list, are you implying that other ag- aggregators are doing such things? or? I... Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. We have seen how uh, how several actors have been utilizing the data of their customers' customers. Absolutely. It's, so it's, that, that's a standard industry practice. And uh, I think uh, that's actually a pretty good value proposition uh, if you point that out uh, to, the, to the customers, for sure. No, I, I, I believe that transparency is super important when you use these kind of services because it's about your bank account and it's about your mm-hmm. entire financial situation. Mm-hmm. And uh, as a user of open banking services, you should be uh, you should be knowledgeable and you should be understanding how your data is being used and most importantly by whom. 
which if we're honest, GDPR to a certain degree as a regulation is, is trying to enforce that visibility um, and, you know, it helping consumers to a certain degree to understand where the data is being used. But at the same time, the transparency isn't really there. I mean, if we look at how GDP is implemented, GDPR is implemented, it's not as if we, we get a, a dashboard that tells us your data is being used uh, in these places for these reasons. You still have to do some digging, even as an individual, to understand what's happening with your data. But I was also interested in your, your, your statement that uh, sharing your data actually diminishes its value. Uh, because I, I sometimes tend to, to think that sharing your data to be able to enrich your data actually mm. gives your data more value. If you keep your data to yourself and don't share it in any way, there, there is limited value in that data to grow, right? Mm. But that's in the terms of then you need uh, innovation by combination, combining two different data sources yeah. in order to make it more valuable. Yeah. It's not the same set of data that you then divide by two or copy. That is, that's very true. That's very true. I, I actually want to go back to, to, to one of the statements you made uh, at the beginning there. And, um, and then we'll get into the whole community aspects of open banking. But you highlighted quite strongly regulation and uh, the banks being you know, focused on, on regulation, regulation, regulation. Mm. And this as well is, is we see this as a repeated um discussion where where it's being said that the banks will will die because they are so focused on regulation and all the fintechs and neobanks are able to be so much more nimble etc because apparently they don't need to follow the regulations but at the same time at the end of the day everybody in this industry at one way or another gets hit by the regulations and have to follow the regulations but do you do you feel, having sat inside of Nordea, that one of the things that's hindering the banks from being successful around open banking is the regulations? Absolutely. I mean, if you have a super lucrative commercial initiative and then at the same hand you have a regulatory initiative, but there is a limited amount of funds, which one do you need to prioritize? So that's that's an interesting dichotomy almost there, because what you're pointing out to is more around the business model and the funding model from the priorities perspective, mm -hmm. rather than the actual re regulations being a throttling effect on the banks. It is more about how they disperse their budgets and prioritize their projects, right? Have to prioritize their projects. Yes. yes. Okay, now very interesting. I mean, Villa, you also used to work in, in this fantastic large um, blue labeled uh, bank in the Nordics. Um, did you have the same sort of feeling when you, you, you were head of emerging technologies? So same sort of area of innovation and cool stuff. Yeah, so 150%. So it was always compliance, compliance, compliance. I, I some, sometimes felt like uh, maybe it's easier to actually advocate for new regulation for the thing you want to do, <laughs> and then be, becoming law, and then you get to comply on it. So that would be faster than getting an innovation budget uh, for something that would actually be meaningful in terms of uh, return on investment. But uh, I mean, to in in defense of the uh, of the banks, of course, I mean they they do have a limited IT budget, uh, and compliance is expensive. So of course, uh, compliance becomes first. And then uh, you need to you need to spend that money effectively on on compliance. 
But the uh, the question becomes, uh, if you do have to spend that much on compliance, is there something you, you should do to make uh, complying uh, more efficient and faster? Uh, or is this really about, you know, it always reminds me of the, of the cartoon where somebody is try, trying to uh, pull a cart with square wheels and then somebody comes with a, with a round wheel and, and there's no, we don't have any time to change the yeah. wheels on this cart. So that's the, uh, the usual analogy that comes to mind when talking about co uh, compliance and IT work uh, in banks. So yeah. yes, uh, totally re relatable. Okay. I give you a second uh, option on uh, driving a regulation instead, Ville. Uh, find a way to commercialize the compliance initiative. <laughs> yeah, that's the uh, that's the way we did it with open banking for sure. So that's a yeah. good one. So yes, open banking, compliance, regulations, PSD2, uh, it all drove us towards open banking. And I think we've seen some fantastically interesting journeys by banks in both regulated regions where PSD2 has been mandated and also in market-driven uh, areas where you know, like in the US uh, and other areas where banks have seen potential opportunity in building uh, open banking capabilities and externalizing APIs, externalizing banking services, uh, and also in some cases data to third parties to be able to drive new business value, new engagement, and more importantly for most banks, drive new revenue streams. But I think... Uh, we could all agree that the whole notion of build it and they will come has been a big failure for a lot of the banks. They've, they've engaged into this, said it's very easy for us to take an IT project, uh, externalize some APIs and have an assumption that we're going to be able to generate an awful lot of return on investment on this. And reality is that it has not been the case. And I think, Sara, we, we collaborated quite a bit at the early days with, uh, with Nodia around open banking. I think one of the things that have been a big winner for Nodia under your leadership was the, the outreach and the community capabilities. I wonder if you could just spend a little bit of time talking about that journey, the importance that the, the community focus had on the growth and success of Nodia open banking uh, and how you engaged in that for 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 success? Mm. Uh, we had a very, I mean, you always say uh, fail fast and then you learn again and then you try again and do it in new ways. Uh, in the beginning, uh, we decided internally that Finland would be the easiest country to get out the first APIs in. Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, uh, we lacked the community perspective in that sense because when we launched it, there was not a single uh, TPP that was regulated by or approved by the Finnish FSA when that, the first APIs were launched. So it was impossible to test them and give feedback and uh, to learn. So uh, then we quickly re uh, changed that scope to start with Sweden instead mm -hmm. and to uh, uh, start building the Swedish APIs. And uh, when we came closer to that one, I have another fond memory of that one with you, Paul, because mm -hmm. uh, what we did, did then was to uh, to establish a big release party in Stockholm yes. where we invited all the TPPs and uh, we made sure to do a lot of buzz around it to make focus on the APIs that, hey, now there's actually a bank out there who's launching APIs in Stockholm and, or in Sweden and we're open to feedback. Mm. Um, the, uh, the openness to feedback and openness to learn was something that we needed from the beginning because when the open banking project was started the first time 
fascinating part was that when we looked for people internally who'd ever been building internal oh, external APIs before, guess how many people we found? Zero. Hmm. Zero. So what do you do then? You need to find people who have done this before. You need to look at industries that have done this before and understand what is happening, That what are they doing that is working? What can we apply into our business model? We know there's been a lot of other companies and industries and verticals who's been doing this before. So um, initially, a lot of focus on the attention, getting the attention from the TPPs and also listening to them. I mean, we got a lot of crazy questions back then, and they were uh, they they expected everything to be included in the PC2 APIs, even in the in the version 1.0 of the API. Mm. And um, that's of course not matching their realities. So there was a lot of uh, struggle there in some of the dialogues in, in in aligning expectations with them and what they what they can expect from a bank. The rest um, is but Mm? I'm sorry. Go on, keep going. I apologize. Uh, but the um, uh, the attention was super important that we got the TPP's attention and then also listening to them. Mm. Uh, although that was super hard many times uh, because I've had some experience that I would have wished that I didn't have. But uh, also the uh, I mean in the long term it's all about the learnings. What do you what what can we learn from them? Mm. We have to be. Although we are a bank and we've been a bank for more than a hundred years, we have to be humble and understand that we can learn something from the community as well. So we started bringing in initiatives and adding things to the developer portal, for example, that came as uh, as proposals from the fintechs. Mm -hmm. So would you say that you you engaged predominantly with an outside in mentality and mindset, seeing the the ecosystem and wider community as being a an integral part of your development process um, going forwards? Absolutely. Always listening to the users, seeing where are their priorities right now, because as a bank, you can't do it all at one time. And uh, especially as shortly before the deadline, the scope grew immensely on the bank side, mm. going from only including the most common payment types into including all payment types. So then it was impossible for the banks to be prepared and be ready by the by the due date. So then you have to prioritize and you're, you better be smart and prioritize according to what your users want and need. Yeah. So I mean, community, sometimes communities are, are uh, difficult to get started. Uh, and you need to feed them to be able to keep the community growing and, and keep the community active, almost giving some element of stickiness to it. What was the approach that uh, that you used to drive success to keep the community active and, and engaged? Um, listening to the users, whether it's a TPP or if it's a partner or if it's a corporate customer, listening to them, understanding their needs and then starting to inspire and also to influence how they are thinking, what are their priorities? I mean, in the large corporate segment, nothing happens overnight, but uh, it certainly has been possible. And we see a huge difference to the matureness of the large corporates now in comparison to when we started in the beginning. 
I'm sure the uh, the de developer communities are quite different from social media communities. But <laughs> the, uh, did you see any kind of a negative behavior in the community once you got it got it started? Was there some type of uh, negative elements in the feedback comments or or anything like that uh, in there? Oh, we've got a lot of negative feedback. Um, <laughs> Uh, then it's about understanding how can we get how can we understand or make this constructive feedback so that we understand what do we need to do to make it better. Uh, but uh, I've had uh, uh, and this is an, on the kind of feedback sessions. I've had a, a very prominent fintech in Sweden and uh, one of their managers screaming at me in the, over the uh, uh, digital meeting and saying that how can you go out and be so loud about that you're great. When you're crappy, you're absolutely <laughs> disastrous. <laughs> oh my! <laughs> and then listening to that for half an hour, uh, continuous times, and then trying to understand. Okay, he's furious, probably not with me, uh, because later on I saw he had a baby, so he probably had some sleepless nights behind him. <laughs> but um, understanding what is it that he actually wants. Mm. So everything from that into uh, the um, fantastic feedback that we've gotten where people were super happy with what we had delivered and saying this works, like the dynamic sandbox. We've got a lot of praise on that one. Yeah, I think, I mean, we can always think that neg even negative feedback, even like this passionate negative feedback that, that you, uh, you got back then means that they care. It's always better to get negative feedback than no feedback at all, because that's the uh, that would be the absolute worst, because that means that nobody cares what you're doing. So, uh, so yeah, there's always a silver lining, even for these cases. Would you would you say that the uh, the sort of whole community focus was one of the uh, key driving forces for the success of uh, the open banking agenda at Nordea? It was a part of it, absolutely. Mm. Um. And it, I mean, the community in my way, it was not only about the direct users, the technical users. We also included it into uh, making sure that we were able to inspire the large corporates and the treasurers. So very much the business people understand or creating an understanding among them that APIs is something that even a business person needs to understand and to work with and to see what are the benefits out of the solution. Uh, but uh, also doing a lot of evangelizing in the beginning of uh, uh, setting up the open banking project internally in order to make sure that the others, uh, the other departments in the bank are starting to understand this. Mm. And uh, we've seen a lot of different departments, especially Nodea, who's been uh, putting out their own kind of APIs. But also partners. Uh, we have a, a public case uh, of uh, Finner. Who, which was actually built in the sandbox. Mm. So Finner and Nordea co-created that case in the sandbox together, yes. which I think is a super cool example of how we can inspire a large corporate into looking at APIs and to see, hey, can we do something cool around this together? Yeah, yeah no, absolutely. And now that you're sitting on the other side of the fence as a fintech here in the Nordics, um, are, are, you, are you seeing the need for 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 change are you you know what what's what's your reaction now from the community perspective on the other side wow yeah and uh i think wow in terms of 
how broad the spectrum is of uh, how different banks are performing in this. Yeah. Um, uh, I, um, uh, I've been experiencing it uh, personally when I've been trying to set up open banking uh, for a company uh, and a, a company account of mine. Uh, super strange experience and I had to change bank in, uh, in the end. Mm. Uh, super fascinating that banks are not taking this seriously because they are going to lose business if they are not joining this and if they are not moving towards open APIs. Yes. Uh, I had a uh, seminar just uh, before summer where we had a bit more than 200 treasurers sitting and listening to how another company had been building their APIs and publishing their APIs and have been utilizing the, the bank's APIs. Mm. Um, I think there are a lot of banks that will be missing out on a lot of business going forward unless they take the step into the API economy. Mm -hmm. Oh, I, so, I, go on, Villa. Yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned that you know that you're on the other side of out of, of, of other side of the fence. Uh, do you think any specific bank is doing a really great job with the community uh, and engagement as in general outside of Nordea, uh, of course? I'm, I mean, what's your experience overall? Uh, how, how the banks are doing? Uh, I there are a few banks that I really liked what they're doing, and uh, that's BBVA. Uh, ABN AMRO, uh, Raiffeisen and Deutsche. Uh, I think they're uh, fairly, I think they're really good in uh, in listening to their users and then getting the things out, what the users will want. Yeah. Are they the exceptions or are they, uh, is that this uh, norm or that uh, it's, it's getting better or is it still bad? I think they are the front runners in this understanding, and I think they will be the banks and um, uh, the banks that will be having a good standing going forward because they've clearly understood the advantage of APIs. And uh, when you see, I mean, it's a bit like what what you see in front of the curtain and what you see behind the curtain. Um, but what you see in, in front of the curtain implies that they've also really understood it and is utilizing this technology and the technology shift behind the curtains. I'd like to, to sort of continue a little bit on this, the other banks, et cetera. I, I'm still seeing an awful lot of banks that are struggling with how they can transition from a fundamentally technology-enabled project for open banking to a mm -hmm. business-driven agenda. And I think community, again, comes in as being something very important here. So what would be your recommendations to to these banks that are struggling in trying to make that transition what should they be doing what should be their starting steps in building this community mentality and listening to their 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 users and external ecosystem um i mean if i take the experience that we did with with nodia in really listening to the tpps and the fintechs and then taking all that knowledge and then we did it with the corporates so did it for the corporates mm -hmm. uh, I think that was a brilliant uh, way of doing it listening to the people who knows what it means to build open APIs listening to the people who are building open and commercial APIs themselves yeah. uh, I know we back then uh, I had a, a lot of dialogues with also your community people at uh, IBM yeah. so listening understanding how are the technology companies doing this 
what 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 can we adapt from that what are the segments uh, such as telecom or such as uh, aviation and travel industry what are they doing on the api side and how are they working with their customers yeah how did you you know use in the community how did you find new use cases or new ideas to to drive uh, expansion of the, the the open banking platform I mean, very often banks get stuck in in identifying where they can drive value to be able to get their return on investment. I'm assuming that dialogue with the uh, the community helped to identify new uh, use cases or um, opportunities. Absolutely. Um, uh, I, I think I've been a, a pain uh, in the uh, X for several people in the bank when I've been forwarding forwarding different use cases that I've seen in either in other banks or in other industries that I think are relatable, but also could be valuable for the people in charge to have a look at. Mm. So a lot of spreading relevant information to the people who would need it or who would profit from it. Yeah. And uh, then again, listen to the users. Fantastic. No, I, I absolutely think that the future, I mean, we, we've we said this so many times, Villa, on, on the, the podcast, the future of banking is, is going to be dominated by platforms and open banking, embedded finance, uh, open APIs, it's all part of that journey going forwards. And it will mm-hmm. require the banks to, uh, to make fundamental changes in their business models, their strategies uh, moving forwards. And I absolutely think, you know, community is a fundamental part of that. And what Nodia did with, with a community focus, I, I think is a, a good benchmark for a lot of other banks to follow going forwards. I'm wondering, Sara, is there anything else that you think would be critical to, uh, to share with our listener community around this that, that you feel we haven't covered so far? No. No. Uh, I'd like to go back to what you started with. Don't expect to build it and they will come. Mm. Um, listen to the users and figure out what, what will the users want and then collaborate with them because most users or most corporates in this sense would want to have an impact in what is being built for them. And the sooner you can, classical, fail fast, uh, the sooner you can realize and then either pivot on what you need to do instead, um, then uh, the sooner the better. Hmm. So continuous dialogues, bilateral dialogues with your with your customer base and understanding where are they going, what are their main challenges, and then also the visionary approach of how can you exceed those expectations? Is there something you can pick up from another industry? Is there something that we can learn from, from other verticals? Uh, looking broader than than banking. Mm. Now this is, this has been a fantastic discussion. I I'm pretty sure that a lot of our listeners have learned an awful lot out of this, particularly around the community and the need to drive community. We like to to um, Villa likes to do it at the beginning of the shows. I like to do it at the end. I, I always like to add some. We add some element of humor and uh, humanity to humor. our shows. Humor and humanity <laughs> to our shows. We like to ask our guests if they've got a fun story or joke they'd like to share. I'm wondering if you've got maybe something 
to uh, to lighten our our day today? Um, I think I have a very good one. Okay. Um, Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, during the PST2 projects uh, uh, back in Nordea, then uh, uh, there were all, I mean, I've already stated it's a, it's a lot about competing priorities. And uh, even sometimes within compliance, it's a compliance initiative competing with another compliance initiative. And uh, one of the very different parts around PST2 is that the output of this compliance regulation and the performance of the bank is actually visible for the third parties. Yes. So it's not a regulation that is, it's not visible for someone on the outside, how the bank is doing with whichever regulation but this is super transparent and uh, that calls for tough prioritization sometimes in the bank and then also explaining this part in how it's super visible and how everyone can see how we are doing right now so uh, we had a lot of uh, uh, preparations for high management uh, sessions and uh, we've been creating document after document and uh, we've had a I would say a fairly good um, process in how to create those and to make sure that there are no errors in them. Mm -hmm. But uh, sometimes a typo is popping up. So we are with the, the direct reports of the CEO, Frank, uh, presenting what needs to be done and how the bank needs to reprioritize in between their projects. And uh, in the first sentence of that document, it doesn't say open banking, but uh, when you write it in a local Scandinavian language, banking, then you get bangers. <laughs> so suddenly we were writing about how the open bankers would need to get prioritization. <laughs> <laughs> so did, did that get in front of the GLT already? Yes. <laughs> It got in the front of the GLT on the screen, uh, but uh, super professionally, uh, one of them simply po kindly pointed out, I think there is an error in the first paragraph. <laughs> so the, the, the important thing with, with, uh, with those events is, you know, you've made it if it becomes the new term used going forwards. Did it get adopted as the new internal name? Uh, I don't know if we were seen as the open bangers from that, but it certainly got after a while when it when all this shock calmed down on our side, uh, then uh, it certainly became a good joke on our side as well. <laughs> and, I, and I have to mention, by the way, we mentioned the acronym GLT, which is, of course, Nordea Lingo. It's the group leadership team. So it was the very high executives of the bank uh, for, for listeners not familiar with the Nordea acronyms. Oh, so fantastic. pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Fantastic. Well, Sarah, it's been a fantastically uh, insightful discussion. It's been a pleasure having you with us here on, on this podcast. Thank you. We, pleasure is on my side. Yeah, fantastic. And as always, to all of our listeners, thank you for uh, sticking with us. Thank you for uh, following us. Thank you for listening to us on a uh, fortnightly basis as we bring out new points for discussion, new guests, and we will continue to do so. But we appreciate the feedback that we get from you guys. It helps us to see the growth. So please 
hit that subscribe button, hit the like button, leave us a comment. A little bit like we've just discussed here in, in the uh, this episode from a community perspective, no comments is actually worse than bad comments. Uh, no comments maybe makes us feel like you don't care. And we want you to care. We want you to take an interest in what we bring and what we talk about. So leave us those comments. Tell us what you think. Tell us what you would like us to cover in the future. Villa and I will be back in two weeks' time unless uh, Villa decides to uh, stay in Africa, become a nomad and move around in the, uh, the desert there. Otherwise, we will have a guest with us in two weeks' time. Until then, this has been Fintech Daydreaming. This is Fintech Daydreaming.